Amen. All right, well, uh, as we go through Romans, uh, we're going to move pretty quick this morning through it. And so, if you got your Bibles there, Romans 7, we're going to start here in verse 1. I believe this, this chapter in Romans is divided up in three, three little sections. And so we're gonna, I'm just going to read these sections and then talk about them uh, as we move through. I'm gonna, let me start in verse 1 uh, in response to what Trey was saying. This is a lot of the same thing he did last week. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of, of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we may serve a new way of the Spirit, and not the old way, the old written code. What Paul is doing here is he's using an illustration, just like Last week he used an illustration and with Trey. He's doing the same kind of thing, but he's, he's basically saying to these Jewish people, you can't live under the law because the law is temporary. It's only as good as here. That's why it is so important that we understand who Christ is and who we belong to. Your law, your, your master is not the law. Your new master is Jesus Christ. And you died to the law when, when Jesus came. And, and so this is, this is what is, is happening here. Is he's just illustrating this by doing this. Uh, and, and he's talking kind of this whole thing out. And what he's talking about is as we come under this new master, as we come under Jesus, our lives are transformed. Our lives are, are beginning to, a process called sanctification where, where we're changed and our, our identity changed. Because before Christ, before I knew the law, before I knew the Bible, uh, this is what I did. And I, I believe this is probably what you did too. Who, who, who called the shots in your life? What was what I did, right? I made my decisions. I thought, well, this is what's best according to John, right? And I lived the gospel according to John for, for a long time. That's what, what he, we did before Christ. And then it came to us and we saw God in it and, and all of that. And it began to change us. And so now we're under this, this new master. And so Trey talked about Alabama last week. And so I want to talk about the Longhorns this week. But like last year, the Longhorns, okay? And so I want to talk about Colt McCoy, all right? And, and I just, I love this guy because he is a winner, he just is. He doesn't have it all together. He doesn't, maybe he's not tall enough, doesn't throw the ball hard enough, but he just gets the job done. And I like this guy. But there's something that happened to Colt McCoy last year that was significant is he was good enough to put his name in the hat to go to the NFL. And he got drafted by the Cleveland Browns. Okay? 
And so he's drafted there. Uh, so now he's, he's in Cleveland. And there are some significant changes. When he got drafted by the Browns in his football life that changed this year. And what happened, his first game as a Cleveland Brown, he did not run out on the field in orange and white. He did not run out on the field with his hands up like this, did he? His coach was not Mac Brown. His new coach does not stand on the sideline like this. Okay? He didn't get in the huddle and call his first play. All right, Shipley. Throw it to you in the middle of the field. <laughs> he didn't do any of that. He didn't get into the huddle and, and call the plays that he was playing that year. He didn't run out in the field and, and hear Texas fight and, and eyes of Texas and all that. N- none of that happened. Because there was a, a complete transformation. He had a new master. He had a new coach. He had different players on the field. He was running completely different plays. In a completely different stadium. And he was, in, in, his, in his whole football life, he was changed. And what Paul's getting at in this is you've got to know, before we continue on in Romans, we have to know who we belong to. Whose we are. Who we're under. And if we're under the law, the law has a different purpose than what Christ has for us. Because here's the deal with Christ. Here's why it's so important that we know why we're under. Because why did Jesus Christ come? Christ came to give his life for, a, a, for the ransom of many people, right? He came to give his life to pay a ransom. Now, why would you pay a ransom for someone? The reason you and I would pay a ransom for someone is because someone that we love for and care for is in captivity. They have been captured. And so Paul is saying, we're under a different deal and Christ came and he paid the ransom and we were in captivity and now we're not anymore. And goes in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, says that you're not your own. That you've been bought with a price. We're not our own anymore. Do you know the extent of that? I'm, I'm not my own anymore. I, I used to make John Church decisions. I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm his. And so my life belongs to Christ. So it's not my time anymore. It's not my money anymore. It's not what I necessarily want to do all the time anymore. It's, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want to do this week? What do you want to do today? How do you want to, to move in my life? But we have to know whose we are. And we're running different plays. Life can't stay the same anymore. Now, there's a transition that ta- happens here in Romans 7. And, and I think it's pretty cool. For the first time in this book of Romans, uh, Paul begins to talk in the first person. He begins to use the word I. And he talks about his own testimony. And so the remainder of, of seven, Paul is, is giving his own testimony in light of the law and, and Christ and, and all, of, all of that. So let me read 7 through 13. It says this. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? So what he's saying is, so some of the people might have been saying at that time, a couple of things here. Well, are you saying, Paul, that, that the law is sin, that it's bad? 
it's a bad deal. No, I'm not saying it's a bad deal at all. And so he begins to say, no, it's, it's not sin. It's not bad. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin seizes, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and, die, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. So then the law is holy. And the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So important that the law, but the, the law has a purpose. It has one huge primary purpose. And it says it in, in verse 7. I would not have known sin, what sin was, except through the law. What the law does is the law reveals our sin. It shows us that we can't do it. Okay? And, and I want to just prove this to you. Uh, I want to just ask you a few questions in light of the Ten Commandments. I'm going to ask you ten questions real quick. Have you ever put something in the place of God? Money? Whatever. You ever put something in the place of God and it took God's place? Have you ever put something before God? You can shake your head if you think so, okay? <laughs> all right? Yes, we all have. Have you ever misused God's name? Have you ever avoided the Sabbath? Have you always honored your parents? Have you ever dishonored your parents? Have you ever murdered somebody? So you said, well, no, I haven't murdered somebody, but Jesus took a little further. If you, if you hate your brother, that's as good as murder. Have you ever committed adultery? Jesus took that a little further. If you've lusted in your heart, in your heart, after another person, you, you have. You've committed adultery. Have you ever stolen something? Have you ever spoke badly of another person? Have you ever coveted something? Have you ever desired something that wasn't your own? I think it's probably pretty certain that all of us in this room have answered yes to every one of those questions. That's the law. And Paul's saying, that's what the law does. All that when the commandment came to me, Paul's saying, I knew my sin. I knew my sin. It, it, I didn't grow up in a church family where I went to Sunday school and all that all the time. My, my first experience with God was I just read the Bible. And I remember reading the Bible for six months. No one knew. And uh, I was reading it on my own. I didn't want anybody to know I was a closet, closet Bible reader. And so uh, I came out of the closet uh, a while ago. Um, but uh, I, 
I was reading it, and I read through the Gospels in six months. And I remember when I got to the end of reading the Bible and the re- reading the Gospels, I had one primary revelation, and it may be a surprise to you, but the revelation to me, what came to me from God is, John Church is a punk. That's what, when I'm reading the Bible, and I'm reading about Christ and who he was, and all of that, the primary revelation was, I have blown it. And so for the first time in my life, I am grappling and struggling with my own sin. That's ne- that had never happened to me before. And Paul is saying, no, the law is so important. The law is critical. Because what the law does is it shows us our sin. It shows us that we have messed up. And it's, we need to know that because I'll never be a good dad, a good friend, a good pastor, a good anything, a good worker, a good co-worker, a good neighbor, until I know I have sinned. We have to know it. We have to know that. And so that's what the law does. It happens with our kids, right? How do our kids know stuff? We tell them, right? What, what is, you know, our little kid goes, you go over to somebody's house, right? And they want to borrow a toy, right? They see a toy that their friend Billy has. I want Billy's toy. So you walk over there and Billy's holding in his hand. And the kid, what does he do? He takes it out of the hand. And then almighty mom says, no. <laughs> no, that's not yours. Give it back. And so all of a sudden he's like, oh, I, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know what was, what was happening there. And so there's this struggle that was going on. And, and so with this, and so that's the same thing that happens biblically when we understand the law. What it does is it reveals our sin. And what the law ultimately does, this is the big deal what the law does, is it reveals to us our sin. And until that happens, we'll never know how much we need Jesus Christ. See, until we get to that place where we're like, I can't do it anymore. What that sin does is it gives us this deep, longing for Jesus Christ to hold him and and to love him and to know that he made it happen for us to be able to say, I can't fix me outside of Christ. That's what the law does. That's what the law does. And what, because what the law does is it says things like, do not do this, right? When somebody tells you don't do something, what do you do? You want to do it. I mean, I'm driving along 35 a lot. The speed limit says 70. How fast do you think I was driving? Just somebody shout it out. 75. (laughs) Right? Okay, because I know that the cop will not pull me over at 75. Right? And we do it anyway. That's what Romans 7 to 13, 7, 7 to 13 is about. It's about what the law does and and its goal in our life. Now, Paul goes a step further with sin. He gets very personal. He begins to talk about his own life personally and his own own struggle. Let's read in uh, Romans 7, 15. It says, I do not understand what I do. 
For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, I, as it is, no longer I myself who do it, but is the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. For if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but is the sin living in me that does it. So I find that the, the law at work, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in, my member, in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner to the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What Paul's talking about is he's talking about the struggle of sin. He's talking about, I do stuff that I don't want to do, but I still do it. Why do we do that? And he, begin, he answers the question, why we do that? So if, you, if you've been wondering, maybe the last month, why you keep doing something you don't want to do, he's about to tell us why we do these things that we don't want to do and we hate to do. And, and some would say, well, Paul, when he was talking about this, this was before he was a Christian. I, I totally disagree with that. I believe Paul is talking present tense right now as a follower of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, I struggle with sin. I struggle with it. Now, it's a struggle. He does not in any way say that he has been defeated by sin. He struggles with it. And, and it, there's a tension to it. Paul does not allow us to escape the tension of sin here, today, next week, next year, next 10 years. We are going to live in the tension of our own sin. It's going to happen. And Paul has accepted that reality. And he tells us what it sounds like. And this is in short what it sounds like. God, I love you. God, I love your word. But I do what I don't want to do. And I hate it. But then he ends. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what it sounds like. That all this... Uh, you can hardly even read it. You know, if I do what I don't want to do, what I do, I would, you know, I mean, all that, okay? It's just really hard. But that's his struggle. This is what Paul is saying. This is what sin in our lives sounds like. I want to look at Peter. And, and it's easy to pick on Peter. And I, there are some uh, passage here that is very familiar. And I, I want to also take us to another uh, place that is not as familiar. Um, but what Peter... Uh, was one of the greatest followers of Christ. And we can say that. He, had a, he certainly had a big mouth. But this guy, Peter, he failed repeatedly. And, and I want to look at one area that led uh, to this failing and what will close uh, to, this, to his failure in his, his life. And I want to talk about how he denied Christ. But before that, I want to just look at Matthew 16. And in Matthew 16, 
what Peter said, what Jesus came back and was talking to the disciples. And he says, hey, listen, uh, um, who do people say that I am? And loudmouth Peter says, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And I love what Jesus said to him after that. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father in heaven revealed that to you. That revelation to all of us, that's not just like somebody, that's a God thing when we get to that place in our lives. And then he said to Peter, Peter, and declared over him, you're the rock and I'm going to build my church upon you. Begins to do that. And so Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And then just maybe days, weeks later, Christ told him, you're going to disown me. No, there's no way I'm going to disown you. I wouldn't do that. I'm, for, I'm with you. Remember I said back there, you're the, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And what happens? A little slave servant girl comes to him. Aren't you with Jesus? No, I'm not with him. Aren't you with Jesus? No, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not with him. Aren't you with Jesus? No. And then what happened? Scripture says that he left and he wept. He, he cried his eyes out. He cried his eyes out. And I think what Peter was experiencing was verse 24 of Romans 7. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the, this coward nature I have? Thanks be to God through, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to look at, we all know that one. But I want to look at, at Peter. This is probably years later in Galatians chapter 2. If you want to go there, that's fine. We're just going to look at about three verses there. But in Galatians chapter 2, Peter is in this same kind of situation. And he's struggling with the same issues, the same sin that he was struggling with right after uh, when when Jesus Christ, before he was crucified. So some people, well, Peter, the reason Peter did that is because the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. He wouldn't have done that because, well, no, this is is years after the Holy Spirit came and he's still doing uh, uh, the same thing. And so Galatians uh, 2, 11 says this. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul. I want to be friends with Paul. I just like to be opposed to my face. Uh, Because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So what happened here? Peter goes to Antioch, hangs out with Gentiles, eats with them, eats their food, does their stuff. He's just hanging out with people. And then what happens? A certain group of people from uh, James, probably from Jerusalem, Jewish people showed up. And then he, what, what happened? He began to back off. He began to step back and, and say, well, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm with them anymore. I, I don't know if I believe what they believe. I don't know. You know, and it's just kind of this confusing thing. And so there's a hypocrisy about Peter's life. The same hypocrisy that was there when a little servant girl asked him, are you with Jesus? And there's a, a root here. It's, it's certainly hypocrisy, that's what we see, but it's fear. 
Peter is afraid of men. He's insecure. He's he's lacking a trust in what he believes. He's lacking a trust in the gospel. He's lacking a trust in Jesus Christ. And so then he does this. And I want to say, you know, I mean, what is, which is it, Peter? <laughs> That's, it's, it's what Romans 7 says, it's what Peter struggles with, and it's, it's what we struggle with, and it's called indwelling sin. It's in us. Because flesh gives birth to flesh. And spirit gives birth to spirit. And when we are born spiritually, there's a war that starts. There's a war that starts in our lives against our sin and the spirit of God that is in us. And it is no small battle. There's tension in this battle. There's a a huge battle over us. And... I don't know where you are when you read this, but when I'm looking at Romans 7 as a Christ follower, as someone that loves God and still struggles with sin in my own life, it is tremendously humbling. And it makes me want to follow Jesus more and more and trust him more and more with my life. Because there's a battle going on. There's tension there. And this is not a a passage or a message of defeat at all. I've personally seen you probably have two tremendous victory in your own life. It happens. But there will always be this battle with sin in our lives. Let me share a little illustration and we'll close. Because we have a choice to do with our sin. Because there's some sins in our lives we don't want to talk about, we don't want to deal about, we want to act like everything's okay, we want to be like Peter and, you know, go back and forth and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's, but there's something we have to do. My little daughter, Courtney, and I meant to bring it in, she has a duck. And this duck is about this big and it's named Ducka. Okay? And the biggest compliment you could give my daughter, Courtney, is to tell her that she reminds you of a duckling. Okay, because she's all about her duck and duckling and all this kind of stuff. But what she has done with this little duck is uh, she'll be in her room either being very loud, singing, or her, we go into her room and her room's a complete mess. And we say, Courtney, your room is a mess. Or, Courtney, you need to be quiet. You're being too loud. And this is the response she gives us. It was ducka. It's Ducca. It's not, it's not me. That, it's, it was the duck. The first time she, I just, I almost fell down laughing. I was like, what? The duck, the duck did not move anything in your room. And, and the duck is not yelling. You're yelling. But I, I gotta be honest, it didn't take too long and just a real conviction. She's just blaming And we can live a life of blame with our sin. This indwelling sin. Or we can do what Paul is saying. An out loud struggle. I hate what I do. I don't like being impatient. 
I don't like getting angry. I don't like this, that, whatever it is in your life. And we can deal with it and take responsibility for it. I want to close with this because this, it is a heavier message and I don't think Romans 8 verses 1 and 2 were meant to be separated from Romans 7 by, by any stretch. But Romans 8, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And even in our sin, before God aligned with Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. In the end, we do win. In the end, we do win. But there is a tension. Let's pray this morning.